Mana 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 this is social disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I'm Brandon, aka Brandon. I hope you're well. My guest is a producer, writer, director, actor, and comedian who appeared on Warehouse 13 and the fantastic show Patriot. So good. And is currently a producer and director for Fox NFL Sunday. Please welcome Norm, Mr. Taste Sousa. Welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brandon. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for doing it. I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, no worries. The inevitable starting point, the deeply unfair, easy to ask, difficult to answer questions, but how are you and how have you been for that matter? Oh, you know, uh, I have some practice with this because Alana does a podcast. I'm uh, Alana is my wife, who, Alana Johnson, if I'm not, has been a guest on your podcast um, and many other podcasts, but uh, she does a, a, a podcast called Self-Esteem Party and we do the intro where this I get uh, the check-in but every intro yeah. where I get this same question uh, 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 bestowed upon me once a week. <laughs> so I do have some practice in it. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, I think I, I'm doing really good. And sometimes uh, I lose perspective on that. So uh, I think... You know, me and Alana talk about this a lot, too, where, you know, we we have our perceived struggles that we're going through at the time. But if you were on the outside looking in, you'd be like, these people kind of have it figured out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But uh, sometimes it certainly feels like I do not have it figured out. And now, uh, like recently, uh, as in the the past week, a couple of days, um, you know, it's been a little uh, tough. It's it, things have been slow. Uh, it, you know, I, I'm never was never a fan of the summer. <laughs> like, oh really? Yeah, I hate the summer. It, it there's I feel like I never have anything going on, and uh, it always puts me in a weird headspace uh, in terms of like um, feeling like I'm not in shape or I can't wear a t-shirt you know what i mean like yeah uh not that i'm uh, you know necessarily like uh totally out of shape but sometimes i just don't feel comfortable out in like summer social situations (laughs) so uh and and summer just kind of started and those those like those events are starting to pop up and i kind of immediately gives me like a sense of dread <laughs> so yeah uh and i i know that i have about three months of like uh, i don't want to go to the pool party uh i sweat too much so i probably don't want to do anything that is like outside in the afternoon with a lot of people um but uh yeah other than that you know i feel like i'm uh really doing quite well i'm I, you know uh, uh, outside looking in, I've probably in the best situation I've been in in my entire life. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, so yeah, I, I I can't really complain. I think to answer your question, I'm doing good. <laughs> that's it. well. First of all, that's awesome. And second of all, I know what you mean though about like uh, once you you do the shift from like I guess winterish, although you know in California I'm sure that's not really the case, but from mm-hmm. spring. It's slightly more layered weather to the the summer wearing like a t-shirt you really like even if you're in like you know i'm in pretty good shape you really get an idea with the tighter fitting t-shirts that are thinner 
of just like where are you at physically. Right. And then a part of me, yeah, to your point is just like, okay, I was in thicker clothes. Now I need to like tighten it up a little bit. Feel like more on display, like you were saying. Yeah, and I, I, I want, I would love to be the type of guy who like just doesn't care, and he's like, oh, whatever, I'm just gonna like roll up, <laughs> wearing like cut off jogging shorts and an old like Metallica T-shirt. <laughs> but like, I can't really give myself that. I, I just, I'm too in my head about it, you know. So, um, and you know, I'm in a position now where I'm like, oh, I could just go buy clothes that fit. And stuff. So it's like, but I think I do have this like deep seated anxiety when it comes to like, uh, you know, I hate it when people are at a party and someone's like, "Are you hot?" <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm, "I'm fine. Leave me alone." Or, uh, you know, but I think in general, it's like the summer is also a slow time of year, uh, and it, it is a more social time of year. I, I, well, I'm from Canada, and mm-hmm. um, so you know the summertime in canada is very like social and you're basically just going to bars and uh, hanging out on patios because the winter is over um but i kind of like i thrive in the spring and in the fall and in the fall especially i find that like uh it's a time when opportunity comes and change comes and uh i, I just find in the summer just like nothing's really popping off for me and and i'm sure there i'm sure there are for people who like thrive in the summer or who do i I do a lot of like outdoor activities but they're not really social activities like i hike a lot um i'm sure if i were like into surfing or um you know (laughs) you know outdoor bar parties or something i would (laughs) get more phone calls but I, I just I think I have a perception amongst my friends as more of a curmudgeon, <laughs> so I, they just don't get invited. Um, Has and, it always been like that for you, with uh, like a more preference towards like spring and fall, fall especially? Yeah, um, I, I think it's not just like for fashion purposes in terms of wearing layers, but uh, I think summer is such a. I don't really. Uh, I don't really do well. I have a hard time truly relaxing, I think. Mm -hmm. And the summer and the winter are times where you kind of have no choice but to chill out. Like if you're in the entertainment business, the winter, um, well, in Canada, the winter is just like, unbearable like everyone stays in there's it's like so cold like dangerous yeah yeah violently dangerous (laughs) to your health yeah 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 and in the entertainment business the summertime is like no one's around you know like you no one's really pitching or making stuff because everyone is basically on vacation and uh spring and fall are times especially in the entertainment business where work is happening people are making stuff People are shooting commercials. I, I used to be a commercial actor in Canada. That was basically my main source of income. So in the spring, everyone is shooting commercials for the summer. And in the fall, everyone is shooting co- commercials for Christmas. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always found there was a lot of opportunity in those times. And then the summer and winter were just like, okay, who's around? Oh, they're on vacation. <laughs> like oh, yeah. they're uh, they're out doing uh, Christmas 
they're on Christmas vacation or they're seeing people are seeing family or it's too cold to literally leave the house. So let's not bother. Because um, it isn't like they say like in L.A., for example, that like pretty much that everything shut down from like uh, Thanksgiving all the way through to like basically the end of January. Like that that entire like season, so to speak, the once the holidays kick in. It's just, there's just nothing happening. It doesn't really pick up until March. Wow, okay. Because February is a drag, you know, in general. Um, so, yeah, and then in the, I think it really, that's the whole thing, right? It goes from March, April, May, and then by the time June hit comes, like where we are now, it's like June, July, August, maybe half, the midway point in August is when things start happening again then it's august september october november if you're lucky and then again <laughs> totally shut down so it's really it's really odd i get you know in terms of like booking something or getting something creative off the ground uh, i think spring and fall are really the only opportunities to do it so i find that i think mentally for me being a creative person uh those are the, again as a creative person, I know that I use the winter months and the summer months to like recharge. So yeah. I watch in the winter, I watch a ton of movies and in the summer I try to read a lot of books, you know, cause I could do that outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, both, both I find them really odd socially, especially like the winter because you're so isolated, but not, I mean, it was really funny. Wait, where, Brandon, where are you, where are you like located? Yeah, you know, when we started this, I just realized I didn't even introduce myself to you pre this show, where I am, anything like that. I'm so bad at that. Well, might as well do it now. Brand yeah. I'm Brandon. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> why, wait, why did I just give you my whole theory about creativity and the oh, seasons? No. <laughs> right. oh, no. I love it, and I have a thought on that, too, and thinking about it after you said that. Okay. But I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. So mm. when you're talking about summer, when summer kicks in like it is now, it becomes summer, especially in July. Mm-hmm. Even now, as it's raining outside, it's still like 80 degrees right now. So wow. the summer gets intense. So I'm not the biggest summer fan. I'm definitely more of a spring-fall fan mm-hmm. because it's that nice for us intermediate temperature. And that's way more habitable as opposed to not being freezing or cold because we don't really get that. But yeah. but I mean, coming off the summer and the pre-summer, it's, it gets hot. No, so when I moved to L.A. in 20... 20- I officially moved in 2015 and like up until I would say 2019, like whenever my body was so used to like winter happening that, you know, come uh, October, November, when it normally gets cold in Canada, when it didn't get cold here, I would just sweat profusely, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, my body clock was like, no, 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 we're preparing for winter. Uh, that's why your beard is growing quicker. <laughs> and, you know? and I'm like, no, it's actually still 80 degrees here. Um, so that that was a fun little quirk about moving from, uh, you know, a, a place that has weather and, and living in Los Angeles, which is, I mean, I think the first two years... I lived in LA I could probably count the times it's rained. It rained on like one hand. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, and I can imagine too that, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that live in LA and who are LA transplants. Cause I guess practically everyone seemingly is mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry. Seemingly it's quite a few anyway, but yeah. that they talk about that. It's like anything else. It 
goes across the spectrum. But a lot of people have talked about how they just, you know, it took a second to adjust to both, I guess, the LA lifestyle, but also the temperature itself and how it's so consistent. And for the most part, everybody's been like, it's pretty great. You know, I miss seasons. But then again, I, I would want the LA lifestyle if I didn't have it also. So, you know. But it, it definitely is a big, big adjustment, especially if you're coming from the East Coast or, you know, because not only does the weather not really change, but it, LA is really an early, like kind of town, early riser town. And, you know, the, it's like in Toronto or I lived in New York for a bit. If you're at a bar... Like at two o'clock, they're like, okay, everybody, you, you know, you can get one more and then you got to go at like three or four. Uh, and here at, at 2 a.m., the doors are locked, <laughs> you know, like no <laughs> one is there. They're already sweeping um, and people wake up early. Uh, I also, I'm, I like watching uh, sports and, uh, you know, I, I still watch the teams from Toronto, Raptors, Blue Jays, uh, Leafs. But those games start at four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> they used oh, dear to God. start at seven o'clock. So, you know, um, that's been, it was an adjustment. And now, I mean, of course, I've been here for, you know, six, seven years now. I love that it, it doesn't rain and it doesn't get freezing cold and it, there isn't like ice storms and that, you know, I can watch a basketball game at four in the afternoon or a football game at 10 a.m., you know, so I, I've grown to love them for sure. Yeah, I know what you mean, though, because I mean, even here in Little Rock, Arkansas, somebody in the central time zone, I watch Formula One and there are so many around the world races, like even last week at the time of this recording, mm-hmm. they raced in Monaco and that was at 8 a.m. central time. Wow. So... You know, granted, it's not the worst thing in the world. And I got up, it was a Sunday. I got up a little earlier than I might have ordinarily. Mm-hmm. Watch at 8 a.m., get that, you know, watch a cool race early on. It was really cool. Did, but you, just, get it, did you get into F1 from the Netflix show? Yeah, that is such like a gateway program for so many people. Yeah. And I watched it when that first season aired, I think like three years ago. Mm-hmm. I watched it like a couple of days after it came out because I was like, what is this? And I watched it pretty much in one sitting. It was very addictive. And. Yeah, it really does a great job of giving you all the different histories of these different teams, at least the ones at the time, because there's been turnover since then. But all the different storylines I've later learned that they may have pushed some of the storylines to the point of outright creating Mm -hmm. rivalries that don't really exist, according to some drivers, which is like kind of a like unsurprising, but kind of a bummer because now I'm just like can't fully trust everything they're telling me. Mm -hmm. But I've been into it ever since and I'm. I'm, I love it. It's great. It's so interesting. You know, I just, um, I work at Fox, um, yeah. which is where a lot of my producer directing stuff happens uh, for, for NFL football. And I did that freelance for I mean, four, three or four years. And I just got halfway through last football season. They hired me full time as like a, you know, in-house director, producer. Um and meaning you're working for like not just nfl not just nfl well i mean i'm part of the nfl team okay um, so uh, you know i think the, my priority is always uh football but and we are always kind of we're already kind of planning you know some of the things for next football season but you know i i just got introduced to um nascar which is a fox property nice and i knew nothing about it and um and I still really don't know too much about it. I do feel like they should really have a show similar to that F1 show on Netflix. That I think it would really help people kind of get behind. Although NASCAR is really popular here. It's, it's, a, it's popular in Arkansas, I'm assuming, right? 
I think so. I've never watched it personally, but I think to your point, I feel like at the very least that theoretical show would do a good job of maybe dispelling misconceptions of it. Mm. You know, yeah. of NASCAR, uh, and maybe that's just speaking to my my misconceptions. You know, and I'm projecting onto it, but I, I think it could be really. I think it could help to humanize a sport that I don't really know, but the fans are very vocal about. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to watch that for sure. Yeah, because I've been, I, I didn't really know anything. And I've been like, uh, even just this morning, uh, you know, I, this morning I was toiling away trying to write. They asked for like, uh, hopefully there's no spoilers. Uh, there's a pun in there, car, car pun, but um, they're, they've, uh, I was asked to write some like dad joke pun kind of comedy one-liner jokes about NASCAR, and I'm like, and for me, I also the week two weeks ago, I had to write like the the, the driver intros. <laughs> oh, nice! And I have never watched it. I know I don't know anybody, so like, fire up that Wikipedia page because I, I would oh, have man. to do that. It's exactly, and and you know, <laughs> through doing that, I also it's 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 annoying because it, it it's. Obviously, it, it takes way more time to write, but I am um, slowly learning a lot about who the people are and where they come from and who their ownership team is and all that stuff. So I, I am getting a little more interested in it. That's why it's like whenever I hear people that are into F1 now, it, it, I feel like that Netflix show really kind of turned that sport around in North America. Maybe at least from a North American perspective, it does feel like maybe a watershed moment for F1 in, turn of, in terms of breaking in to this market that is predominantly, you know, un, largely untapped, at least relative to all of its popularity around the world outside of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to speaking speaking of that, now that I think about it, that uh, McLaren just announced that they, just in the last couple of days, they just signed their next, their new driver for one of their two spots. Mm. And he's an American who is now former IndyCar driver. Ah. So that's a very... Very strategic move on their part to get the one American driver in Formula One. Mm, yeah, Very smart of them. Because there are some like there are some F one drivers who have gone to NASCAR when their F one kind of career is over. Right? Like I think Jock Villeneuve is uh, in the NASCAR circuit now, and he used to be an yeah. F one guy, right? Yeah, uh, they have certain drivers too. Yeah, that want to once they get out of F1 or maybe as part of F1, they want to go through all these different disciplines mm -hmm. to be this all around kind of like Jimmy Johnson, I think in NASCAR is, yeah. is this very discipline. Like, you know, if, if it's got an engine and a steering wheel, I can drive it type yeah. guys, yeah. Uh, which I think is really fun and interesting. And, uh, I think, yeah. And to your point, like, uh, I think it was like, you know, they have these different teams savvily, pick different drivers from different countries and then they have immediate fan bases there because mm -hmm. like there are two canadian drivers uh i think both of which have ties to billionaires which helps yeah yeah there's one spanish driver one mexican driver one japanese one chinese a couple of frenchmen multiple englishmen you know just from different kind of planting their flags to get these different bases of of fandom and very savvily mclaren got an american who's going to be in the 2023 season because who who would be who, like it, i don't i know i don't i know very little um so i'm assuming for f1 based on like i mean i've seen some i watched this um you know rush and the Rolanda and uh yeah that documentary and uh hans lauda and what's the other dude's name who's in rush uh, it was hunt yeah hunt and lauda um 
you know, so I, I've I've watched a bunch of that. I'm assuming like the like a majority of drivers come from uh, Spain, right? Italy, Italy, right? I think I think Spain, Italy. I think there's a, a there've been a pretty good amount of Englishmen. Mm. Oh, and, right, right, right. And they're, you know, Lauda, I believe, is German. There's yeah, some, like, yeah. Dutch Netherlands area ones, too. Mm. Uh, you know, Senna, Ayrton Senna was Brazilian. Right, right, right. So I think there's some South American drivers for sure. I think it's predominantly, like, Europe and England oh. for the most part. Okay, cool. Yeah. But I, I'm, I, you know, I'm still a newbie for the most, you know, to it. Uh, three years doesn't give you that much but that's my understanding of it well I, i'm really glad that we spent a good 10 minutes talking about something that we don't really know that much about <laughs> <laughs> yeah that i'm largely like a, a high percentage of my information is from a thing that i already mentioned wasn't a reliable narrator quite literally to what we're doing yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah good stuff you were saying that you're already kind of gearing up a little bit mm-hmm. with the fox and the nfl stuff at this point Right. How much of an off season do you have in general, but like relative to the actual NFL off season? You know, it's really interesting because it's something that I'm figuring out only now. You know, yeah. like, um, you know, I was freelance for a long time. I basically was brought in. I, I auditioned when Fox got Thursday Night Football. They were they brought in um, uh, Vince Wilfork, who is like a defensive player for the. Um, yeah, no tackle, formerly of uh, Patriots and Texans. Right? Yeah, then he went to the Texans, and he wore a pair of overalls on Hard Knocks, and everyone kind of saw him as like a, a comedy kind of thing. So they brought him <laughs> in as a, as a, as a talent, and then uh, I, I interviewed to produce his pieces and didn't get it, but was brought in about halfway through to kind of help and tag along. But mostly, I was brought in to produce Cousin Sal, who's Jimmy Kimmel's cousin. Uh, yeah. for Thursday Night Football. But I was just freelance. So in the off season, you know, when, when Sal was done Thursdays on week, you know, 15 or whatever, I would, you know, kind of dust my hands off and say, well, see you next year. And I wouldn't really hear anything from anyone. And then I'd get a phone call like week one being like, uh, are you around? <laughs> you know, so, so you were uh, kind of unofficially on call, you know, unbeknownst to you, it was just you popped up when they needed you at that point? Yeah, basically. And then this year... You know, um, I, I think I think a lot of what it, it's a little it's really difficult because there's a lot of really talented TV uh, and sports producers there. But I think writing something, my my boss calls me. There's another a comedy writer who does the longer piece on the pregame show. I usually do. I was doing Cousin Sal, and uh, I was doing the short comedy piece on the pregame show the first one you see and then there's the longer uh, comedy piece uh, just closer to the game it used to be the Rob Riggle slot yeah and uh, me and this other guy who used to be a, a TV writer he uh, you know he, he worked for like you know uh, you know what everybody hates Chris and he wrote for Bernie Mac and you know a couple good like stand-ups and stuff so but he calls us the blank paper guys which means that like we could uh we can just write something you know from from a blank sheet of paper come up with an idea and a lot of really talented producers there um they're not really generating like original creative narrative ideas they're um they're doing other things creating big like light spectacle doing you know pre-game teasers and, um, and making things look super cool to a music track and stuff like that or it or, or really doing a good job 
producing a interview piece, you know, which yeah. you don't necessarily have to script. So uh, I think what is kind of difficult or what I'm learning now is that a lot of sports um, aren't really conducive to sketch comedy or stand-up comedy or jokes in general. They're more like, this is like, I think NASCAR, for an example, as an example, like, you know, they, they, they like when things are funny and they like comedy pieces, but they don't like when you criticize drivers, you know? Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it kind of handcuffs you creatively in a lot of ways. But to answer your question, uh, in the off season, I still don't do very much. But this year, um, as opposed to different years, from what I'm understanding from people who have been full time there for quite some time, um, the anticipation for next season is kind of big for a lot of different reasons. Uh, it's a Super Bowl year for Fox. So uh, and we have a NFC championship game. So. Those are two kind of big events at the end of the calendar that, uh, and also, I mean, the curveball that kind of happened this season is we lost Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. <laughs> so uh, that's a hell of a curveball. Yeah, 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 I saw, yeah. I saw that, and um, I imagine much like a lot of people at Fox, my eyes got very wide. I did not anticipate that at all. Yeah, and you know, it, it's it's odd timing because it is a Super Bowl year, but. Um, I think uh, we have Kevin Burkhart, who's a you know really good announcer. And, uh, they just signed Tom Brady to ten-year massive deal once he retires, and and I I, I mean I, I can't imagine Tom Brady isn't going to come into a situation like not incredibly prepared. He'll probably be like amazing at it right away, which is so annoying <laughs> as a football fan. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he is that type of guy where you know, kind of in the Michael Jordan sense, where he is this like competitive prepared maniac where yeah. like thank god he's got this outlet to do with all of that with uh-huh, you know uh-huh. like yeah because otherwise there might be buried you know bodies buried underneath a deck somewhere for all we knew right, so, like right. thank god that he has that to channel through but to your yeah. point i think i he's just a guy where i'm just so used to him thriving at everything that i'm like there's no reason to doubt he wouldn't just be amazing and be so prepared yeah. and know everything like be able to channel all of these years of being hyper competitive into this new venture. He just seems like that type of guy. Yeah. And um, you know, the uh, it, it is kind of, I am learning a lot too. Cause you know, coming from a comedy background where, you know, I do sketch comedy and um, I used, I kind of dabbled in stand up when I first started in like the mid two thousands, but you know, coming on this side of things, and working behind the camera as like a producer, writer, director, especially in, in the off season here, you know, you're, you're, I'm really learning about, you know, what it takes to do a production and, and um, the, I mean, I guess now to your, you know, we have so many zoom meetings now, everything's kind of like, pre, I, I'm, I'm watching, I'm chiming in on these zoom meetings because Fox has the world cup next year, which is already kind of like, you know, being wow. planned. Yeah. People are flying to to Qatar and kind of figuring out, you know, doing these massive shoots for USA Soccer. So it's um, I've been learning a lot about how you know a, a, a I mean one of a huge huge TV network uh, kind of works from from the inside when normally I would not really pay attention to any of that stuff at all, and I, I don't necessarily need like a lot of it i don't need to know or even particularly care about but um 
it's my job, my job, and they pay me to, to, to be in the meetings and I do learn some things from it. So, uh, there is like a fine line of becoming like, uh, a, a company boy who like sits in every me- meeting and becomes a yes man, um, as opposed to kind of sticking to the creativity and your individual kind of, uh, process that kind of got you there in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I imagine it's like, you know, you, <laughs> I feel like you need, yeah, to, to do the comedy that you're doing, you need to be in touch with your, yourself, your individuality, the voice of your comedy and what you want to do. And knowing that now that you're inundated with all of the bureaucracy of it and the red tape and the behind the scenes of how it works more so than you probably were before, just because of, you know, the fact that you're now full time, it's like, I need to know all a certain percentage of this stuff at the very least. And you can appreciate this machine and how everybody's doing it and how it's maintaining everything. But also like, I need to remind myself and remember why it is they hired me because of what I did before I knew all that stuff. Yeah. That's the fine line that I'm kind of like, I've like fell into this like sports comedy niche a long time ago. And, uh, and I've been doing it for so long that you can easily fall into the like, sports analysts stats and and you know figures and records and blah 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 if you fall once you fall into that you know you lose the perspective of what's funny you know yeah. uh because there's nothing less funny than where people's legacy is or something you know like who who gives a shit so that's kind of like I, I i try not to like entrench myself to a point where i forget that kind of the simple things that everyday people can relate to is actually what's funny, not like whether this person got traded or what his, yeah. con- what his contract is or, you know, so. Is uh, that part of it too then in the off season, you're trying to consciously keep the mindset of a fan, you know, of just like enjoying it for what it is of that was a nice pass as opposed to, well, he threw it at 36 degrees and, you know, it like he, the, the most analytical side of it. Yeah. To your point. I think I've always kind of done that. Like I've never, I never, I don't gamble and I don't do fantasy at all. Uh, I just have no interest in it. And I did it for a few years and for, I say a few years, like 10 years. Right. And, and I was air quotes good at it, but it also makes it to where you have no fandom and nothing means anything. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. right yeah. So I stopped doing it like three years ago. Cause I was like, I get nervous and all this for all the wrong reasons and I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think in general, last year in the off season, I, I had a good idea I was coming back. I was still freelance, so, you know, I, but I did have a very good sense that I'll be back for the football year. But instead of like, you know, brushing up on on who was getting traded where or, you know, what who is who's the like, you know, second string tight end for yeah. the Falcons. It's like instead I talked to I we have a friend, Austin Saya. And um, uh, Alana's good friend, Allison Rich, who directed a couple of her music videos. And Austin used to direct a, b- a bunch of stuff with uh, myself and Alana. And they both, I think Allison went to UCLA and Austin went to the University of Carolina. They both did the director's programs. So I just got the director program reading list and I picked like 10 books off of each one. And I basically read every director <laughs> book I could get my hands on. Nice. Because, you know, I realized last year, you know, you're working with, especially if you're a director and a producer, you know, you have 
the lighting department, you have the DP, you have grips, you have PAs, you have like, you know, you're booking studios and you're working with talent. And I, I was so used to being in front of the camera for so long that I kind of stopped after the season. I was like, I should probably learn what the lenses are. <laughs> you know? yeah. I should probably <laughs> learn what like these lighting guys are doing. Uh, I probably... Like a paint, a painter, like familiarizing themselves with the colors. Yeah. Like, I should probably, I should probably make sure I, I have it locked down to some degree. All of the options I have on set. Yeah, the tough part it was is like, you know, there's always this like. I think if you work in a creative industry, there's always this like, uh, this like imposter syndrome that like sits in the back of your head. You know, that someone's yeah. gonna find out that I'm actually not that talented or not that smart. So, um, the, the fact that after last season i realized that uh it was in fact true <laughs> that i didn't know <laughs> what the fuck i was doing <laughs> ignorance I, is bliss though right yeah yeah you know <laughs> and also i think sometimes not knowing kind of gives you enough it, it's kind of actually more beneficial like when i first um i first started at fox for on a show called fox sports live which was in its like last iteration it was already gonna get canceled uh, i didn't know that but yeah. uh, I got brought in as a, a writer with a, a, my writing partner who has since moved back to Canada. But um, him and I both went to become, we were writers, but it, it, the budget was so small that we also, you know, happened to be, we were producing our own pieces and stuff like that. And we were in edit bays and we kind of, but we knew nothing about it. So, um, but I think sometimes not knowing the rules or not knowing how things should go, you you sometimes fall into something where you do something different, and it's actually quite good, you know. And, and yeah, because um, there's also something I learned. You know, a lot of editors, when they're editing like drama, or they're editing like a trailer, or they're editing like uh, to create tension, for example, there's a uh, there's a uh, a say then see. Right. You can be like, hey, what's that over there? You see someone say that and then you see something out in the distance. And for comedy, it's the opposite. It's 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 see then say it's you see something weird and then it cuts to the person who goes, what the hell is that? You know, what I mean? like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so it, it but it's against the rule. So I would be in an edit bay with an editor and we'd be cutting a comedy piece and we would be arguing about something. And he goes, no, because like as an editor, you kind of, this is how you are taught. And I was like, I understand that. But um, the way to make it funny is to do the opposite. So those are like a couple of like weird things, I think, as an outsider who was like pretty ignorant uh, in terms of like what people's like schooling or educational background in the entertainment industry, just to kind of just come in and say, well, actually, the, the rule that you have or you learned is dumb. We should do yeah. it this new way. Uh, sometimes it can bite you in the ass, but sometimes it can really help. And it makes sense too, because like, um, I don't know, I, not to, uh, and this is not me completely negating or saying that, you know, schooling, going to school for film, whatever, you know, whatever art form or whatever the case isn't a thing that's going to teach you and create great habits too. Mm -hmm. But to your point, like sometimes it is harder to have to unlearn certain tendencies Yes. at the same time to then recalibrate that and you know sometimes those schools too can breed the same tendencies in that not to say that it's not valid but that it it can also make it to where it's hard to outside the box think outside the box when you're all wearing the same box mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah no i couldn't agree more
but you know, at the same time, it, it, you know, I did sketch comedy for a lot of years, and I ran a comedy show in Toronto that was like a weekly. We basically did the same format as Saturday Night Live, but we did it on nice. we did it on Sunday with Canadian celebrities, and it was called Sunday Night Live. Uh, and I ran that show for uh, like a couple years, and you know, one of the things that I used to, you know, I, I taught sketch comedy a bit too, and truly i think why learning you know i i I did not like that was my back of the day perspective when i was like hey i know what you learned in school but uh we should do it this way and i'm sure it was very annoying for everyone around me but since then having i knew that i needed to get some practical knowledge which is why i spent last summer kind of reading up on lighting cinematography editing all that stuff because it kind of harks back to my sketch comedy days when I was like teaching stuff because it, you know, there's a rule I always had where, you know, you can't really break the rules if you don't know them, (laughs) you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So sketch comedy, uh, you know, obviously comedy has this rule of three, you know, like the rule of three is like, if when that when in doubt, you know, you kind of just go with this, like set up, set up punchline beginning, middle end, you know, kind of like format. And sometimes it jerks the audience around when you don't do that, you know, when you purposely break that rule. But you can tell when someone is doing that because they don't know the rule uh, or someone is doing it and you, they clearly know the rule and they're on purpose not doing it. So yeah. I think uh, you're always better off knowing the, you know, the, the dot the I's, cross the T's, fundamentals and then you know kind of smash it into pieces after you already have the knowledge of what it takes to to do the basics and that makes total sense too because you can to your point like more power in like consciously weaponizing that mm-hmm. and be able to have some degree of like control over how much of a punch it gives mm-hmm. as opposed to kind of falling into it thinking about it too now that you majored in comedy writing right yeah I went, I went to well I mean it's really it was a, a it was a Humber College offered a comedy writing and performance um, two-year undergraduate which I took yeah um, yeah that, that yeah sorry I, I no of... no I, I was just gonna ask like did that allow you to to get a sense of like the form i guess or like here's how you write this was it more of a structural thing i guess oh yeah i mean i had no idea you know i um when i this is like basically after high oh, i was not a very good high school student and uh you know i, I come from my parents you know my parents were immigrants to canada mm. and they were from you know uh, the azores which is part of portugal um and it's like it wasn't even i mean i watched saturday night live you know my sister had like vhs recorded off the tv tapes of kids in the hall and you know sctv and stuff like that so i had like uh, uh, and i i've seen it before but i really didn't have any idea of you know how comedy or i'd see like you know late night or at the improv at like 2 a.m you know yeah but i had no concept of of what it was so, uh, so th- when, when you took those classes, then did, were you, did you have it in your mind? Like this could be a career or was that something you figured out as you did it? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, mostly it was my, the, the, the people working there, the, the professors and the, and the, the teachers and the, the people there who are like, who told me like, Hey, you, this, 
you are good at this, you know, like, because, yeah, uh, nice. and I think that's kind of why I, I think well, that, that program in Canada really got knocked a bit um, because it's, I guess there's this sense in the comedy field that you, you kind of like, you learn in the trenches and you, who needs, you don't need some school, but it's just like going to an acting school or it's just like, you know, it's, it's, um, you still get, you need practical learning. You need to get on stage. But I think for a lot of people who don't have the opportunity, you know, I mean, this harkens back to uh, my idea that like comedy in general is, it's like, a, it's, it's a privilege, you know, because yeah. it, not a lot of people have the money to take an improv class or the time, you know, especially if you're coming from an immigrant family. And I mean, you know, no one I know growing up went into the entertainment business. Basically I, I fell into it because um, I mean, there's a couple of factors. A uh, my mom passed away when I was in high school, when I was in grade 10 and mm. um, my dad was an alcoholic growing up. And I was the youngest child and my two, my brother and my sister had moved out of the house. So really no one was, <laughs> no one really knew I would like what I was doing or cared. <laughs> so like, I, I, so basically I, after high school, I took a year off where I, I exclusively just like drank in a garage and smoked pot. <laughs> and uh, I, I was like, my brother was like, Hey, you got to go to college. You know, you got to go to, you got to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And then I, I applied for a bunch of different creative pro like radio broadcasting and media and all these different things. And the last little thing on the application was this comedy program, which I was like, whatever. And I went to, because I wasn't going straight out of high school, I had to like interview. So when I interviewed, I, they made me do like a little audition. It was Alan Gutman, who was the, the original music director at the second city who had taught like Mike Myers and the kids in the hall. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, I just kind of did my, I don't even remember what I did. Some like little shtick about living with my dad or whatever. And, uh, he basically just stopped and said, Hey, you know, um, or did you apply to any other courses? And I'm like, Oh yeah, a couple, you know, he goes, well, if, if you get accepted to this, do you think you'd come? I go, yeah, sure. You know, I don't really care. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, well, I'm going to tell you now that you're accepted. <laughs> you know, like, and I was like, oh, cool. He was kind of the, uh, the first guy to be like, hey, you know, you really have something here. Um, and then, you know, by my second year, I was already like too cool for school. And, you know, I was like, don't need this school. I'm so funny. And uh, <laughs> I joined, I joined this, this sketch comedy group that ended up, uh, that did the Sunday Night Live show, and there was an actor in it named uh, Craig Brown, who's uh, now writes for a bunch of stuff in Canada, and he's a super smart guy. But he was the first guy to be like, "Hey, you need to get an agent. You know, you need to like this is how the this is how the entertainment industry works. And what are you doing here if you're not, you know, making money doing commercials and getting writing gigs?" So that's kind of how that whole thing started. You know, I, I and then you I kind of just fell into it. And then when you fall in, when you start doing stand up, you know. Which is the, I mean, the worst. If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're, if you're, let me just, if anybody's listening now who's thinking about starting, you know, a stand up comedy career, stop. You know, like, do not do it. Um, it's so, I can't imagine. Yeah. It's, it's like so, so difficult. You know, my friend, um, Steph Tolev, 
who uh, you know her? She's super funny. Um, no, but I gotta. I'll write that down. Yeah, she actually her Netflix. She just did a, um, a set on Bill Burr's new Netflix show. Okay. Um, which came out yesterday, and she's like, whenever somebody's like some actor starts doing stand up, you know, she's like, what? It was what, what? Are you crazy? Like, what? Who? Why did all these actors over the pandemic think that they could just waltz in to start being stand up comedians? Um, because it's truly so so difficult but you know uh if you're young and you know i think if you're a comedian and now it's giving me this like insanely great perspective you know like i'm able to produce uh a, a, like even cousin sal right who comes from jimmy kimmel and he had, he's more of like a hidden camera kind of prank guy you know yeah but, you know, as someone who kind of comes from that world or a sketch comedy world and also the Sunday Night Live show, I was used to we'd have guests, hosts, right? Like in Saturday Night Live. So um, a lot of the times it would be like an actor or uh, we had like Chris Jericho, you know, and it's like <laughs> like all these wrestlers and stuff that you have to like kind of write for and work with. And I think all of that kind of like early comedy experience kind of all led up to me doing a, a better job being in, behind the camera. And it also me, like I, I did the show in Canada called never ever do this at home, which is like, you know, a Mythbusters kind of show. And I did like a panel show, mostly just being in front of the camera as a talent, as a producer, I'm like, well, you know, we can't give them that many lines, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. I know that learning all those lines is like very stressful and very difficult, you know? So I'd like to think that, you know, being in front of the camera or being a writer and working with other people and going into kind of the trenches and learning all of those little like things and performing in front of an audience. I mean, I always think it's I've heard this so many times before and I'm not really going to place it of who said it first or when, but it's like I'm sure Conan O'Brien, I'm sure Larry David have both said it. It's really hard if you're going to be a comedy writer to just you know, to argue a point if you've never done it in front of an audience, you know, like um, I directed a show once and and an actor wrote a scene where someone comes out totally naked, just holding a clipboard. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And uh, I said, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. But I'm going to recast it and you're going to be the guy naked, (laughs) you know? And they're like, oh no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, then you shouldn't have written it. (laughs) You're doing it for sure. Um, So it's like, I think I learned a lot about like accountability and the relationship between the performer and the audience. That's really interesting. And that makes a lot of sense too. And to your point about who might've said that, it definitely sounds like something Lurie David would have said as a guy who did stand up and, had a particularly contentious relationship with the audience. Yes. Especially when they didn't laugh at any of his jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in, in, not that that happened a lot, but I remember seeing video online of him just vi- like visibly pissed off. Oh, yeah. Beca- in a very like, you Philistines, how dare you type way. And by the way, he probably had a great point as a brilliant comedy writer. But uh, yeah, uh, maybe stand up. I think he, he did okay for himself. I'll say that for him. He's done pretty good in spite of uh, <laughs> in spite of being a stand-up com- comedian that maybe didn't go to the heights that he anticipated. And I, I so. don't want to, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to dump on actors and, you know, because acting is also hell. I mean, there's nothing, sure. there's nothing worse than an audition that goes bad. Oh my God. 
oh, I'm I'm already like even just thinking about auditions that go go bad. I have this like I'm like nauseous even just saying the words because I've been in so many situations that I've hated. Um, but I can't it, imagine. It's such a tough, tough um, business, and I I think to to kind of circle back to the beginning of the podcast, you know, I think that's I think that's why I I, I kind of feel good, you know, is that I'm kind of still around and I'm able to like make a living, <laughs> which yeah. is so incredibly difficult. No joke, and but also to your like to be able. to you know, it feels like you're scratching multiple, at the very least, like creative itches, so to speak, by doing what you're doing, because you can wear a lot of different hats. And and for example, just randomly, but, you know, like Gordon Ramsay was on multiple sketches that you did. Mm-hmm. And he was very good, by the way. He's a really like, nice guy, too. I, yeah, that's what I've I've heard or read, I guess, that, you know, it's like he's he's giving uh, some degree at the very least like of a performance. Yeah. And it's not coming from a place of hate. It's like he wants his food to actually be good. Mm-hmm. So then he puts on Eric. But yeah, he, you know, I was very taken when I was rewatching those sketches today that just very natural and that doesn't always come off with people that don't do that sort of thing day to day. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's athletes are sometimes a little more difficult because they, they, you know, it's all like the psychology of people in general. I always find interesting. Yeah. You know, I find sometimes that like uh, it can be a little more difficult working with an athlete because they've been told that they've that they're great their entire lives. You know, <laughs> like yeah. uh, especially like a football player. You know, football players. Uh, I, I always like I always try to like psychoanalyze the difference between baseball players, hockey players, you know, basketball players, and football players. But what have you found? Yeah, I'm curious. Well, I find that like find football players, especially in America, um, there's this like sometimes totally justified confidence, but sometimes totally irrational because, I mean, they've been told that they are incredible, uh, unstoppable, and that they have to like dominate. You know, yeah, and yeah. That there's no concession to that, and weakness is weakness is not an option. When when it, when it comes to performing and being creative, uh, the most important thing is honesty and vulnerability, which is the exact opposite, right? Yeah, and, and I think like and just, it is a team sport, so there, you know, I think a lot of times with with a commonality amongst all of them is like this like communal effort to get the job done. So um, they. I think sometimes it's framing as, as a director, if you're, if you're working with someone who's from athletics, I think if you, framing it as like, uh, you know, a team sport that we, we need to like figure out the X's of and O's of how to like execute properly. And if some of that is like turning on a more vulnerable side and communicating that properly, it's, it's just a matter of like, managing it right but i mean when i first started i when i I, that first season at fox nfl you know trying to jump in halfway through vince wilfork who was like a leader in the locker room you know and basically is like he's not going to listen to some portuguese 30 year old guy who's like you know trying to give he's going to be like who the hell is this kid absolutely not get out of my face uh so, I, you know, but it was a huge learning experience 
for me because you know if if you're working with celebrities and you you need to kind of come in with your own kind of particular swagger and if it's not swagger then it needs to be like this like quiet confidence that that and also like you know i think with the gordon ramsay thing why we ended up working the second time is because he knew i wasn't gonna fuck it up <laughs> you know yeah. like uh we did something and it, it turned out and he liked it so now we can continue doing like i think in order to like you know you got to prove yourself at, at least once or twice to, to get an opportunity to, to do it again. To your point about like the egos of the athletes, to speak on that real fast, I can completely understand why they would have massive egos because mm-hmm. they've all been the best athlete, best player on their team their entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, like even in, in football, the quote-unquote worst NFL team is still an all-star team from every level of football prior to that. Like, oh my of God. course, you know, like they're unbelievable. That's why like little stuff about, well, this college team would beat this football this pro football team like it's ridiculous no, never. never that's never, a joke never. yeah never. <laughs> never, never 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 no no oh my god they couldn't even make the practice squad probably <laughs> no no like it's ridiculous it's so it's so ridiculous that's the one that's my one big takeaway working in sports for so long i've really come out with a, a huge respect for what it takes to make it to the pros i mean the like the difficulty of it i mean like i, I can't even imagine like it's it's especially the nfl i mean the if it wasn't for the NFL recruiting a lot of these guys young, like that's the only reason USA has not won the hundred meter race at the Olympics for, you know, like the fastest, yeah. the fastest man in the world is, is probably playing on the dolphins, you know? like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking about too, that in the wake of, I mean, not that they're not a big topic now, but like in the wake of, especially at the zenith of talking about concussions, mm-hmm. when, you know, parents were talking about, well, I don't want my child to play football. My brain immediately went to, wow, our soccer teams are about to get even better. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like because of all of these incredible athletes with all this speed and power, but like our rugby teams are going to get amazing. All of these other sports are going to get so much better if they were to take out athletes that really predominantly get, you know, taken by football. Yeah, and it's it, I guess like having, especially for me, the the having both of these worlds kind of collide, having that athlete like uh, unbelievable determination and you know, perseverance to like this like the comedy. It's like oh the 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 weaker and the worst life. <laughs> Whoever had the, the the dad who drank the most wins. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> it, it's so insane. Uh. That is one thing, too, that I was curious about, that, you know, with all these different actors that you have mm-hmm. that are in these... Is sketches, is that the right word? I don't want to misspeak. Yeah, sketches. You know, because I know sometimes people say, like, skits, oh, and people are crazy. like, that's... Okay, I, that's what I figured. I just want to make sure, though, that sketches is are, is apropos to that, and I'm not saying some form of skit, but... Yeah. You have a lot of different comedic actors that are in it, too. Yeah. Is that something where, you know, are, are you going to a lot of comedy shows and stuff to be up to speed, so to speak, on... <sighs> more talent new talent or do you just have a lot of people in comedy you know and you check that that way yeah i mean i'm doing more of of that first one and uh now you know this season trying to look for new people for next season but the people i've been using i'm mostly just asking favors from friends yeah uh, and people i've met kind of along the way are people i've worked with like you know uh a lot of the actors i use I'm not sure if you saw the Green Bay Packers like guy who's wearing all of those clothes. He's been in a bunch of stuff of mine. But yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was our neighbor. 
<laughs> you know, like, nice. uh, and he, you know, he, Pat Babbitt, he's just a really funny guy who's an iOS guy from Chicago. And there's a lot of Canadians and people from, from the Midwest, especially Chicago, really have a, a similar sensibility. So a lot of the people I use come out of Chicago. But yeah, I mean, I am starting to, to kind of venture out because the majority of my comedy community is back in Canada. So uh, I am I am having that's why I do use a lot of the same people over and over the last couple of years is because I'm really just hiring whoever picks up the phone. <laughs> Ooh, I know <laughs> I don't really you know, the football season is that's kind of like what you were talking about with the off season. I think there's a very chill kind of vibe in the off season, and I think our the 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 big ups are kind of let that happen because I mean between the football season, it's like week to week. It's it's like a war zone. I mean, it's nonstop. I was producing two pieces a week for about ten weeks in a row, and um, it's like you know, Alana was like, I've never looked worse. <laughs> I've never been more stressed out. Um, so it, it's every day. That is something I really want to get to. I, we're going to wrap it up in one second. But, no, it's all good. Take your time. but I do want to ask you about, yeah, what is the average, like typical week in the season? What is that like? Exactly? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's really interesting. Like, I think, well, Fox doesn't have Thursday Night Football, which uh, is kind of all I knew. But, you know, Basically, what my schedule was like producing uh, the piece on Thursday and then still trying to do a piece on um, on Sunday was actually like it, it was kind of like stressful. Basically, like I watched the games on Sunday uh, to try to like figure out what's going on. Monday, uh, I, I try to, you know, try to communicate with, you know, whoever I'm working with for the Thursday piece, find out what I'm doing and how we're doing it i shoot that piece on tuesday and i edit that piece on wednesday and on during the edit i find time to write a piece for sunday and then uh and on thursday i try to cast that piece produce that piece find a location for that piece shoot it friday <laughs> and then i edit, edit that piece on saturday and then it airs on sunday and sometimes if I'm really, really tight or the, the Thursday shoot needs to get pushed or this or that, I sometimes would shoot and edit same day Saturday <laughs> and then like edit on Saturday until about midnight and it would air the next morning at like 9 a.m. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And I don't want to, I mean, I, I hope, you know, that I, I still like keeping busy, but I, I, that for about 10 weeks straight, um, made me kind of mental <laughs> so i don't want to know do I, I don't doubt it i mean you know just the the aggressive nature of that schedule in general it's like miraculous you got all that done let alone that genuinely they're really funny oh thank like, you like really funny because i was re-watching them and you know i'm a big comedy fan so which then kind of makes you a comedy snob unfortunately <laughs> but they're really funny they're great i yeah. highly recommend them and listen no, no one no one bats a thousand you know um in comedy in general, there isn't a sketch comedy show that you can watch where every single sketch is a hit. So, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that the, I think I made more ones that are chuckle worthy than not. So that, that's the, my, that's my big takeaway. <laughs> no, there's some really good ones in there. Cause I, I was watching them too on your Instagram page mm. and, and I especially laughed at one with, um, Alan McLeod and Mookie Blakelock. Oh yes. Uh, Two two guys that, funnily enough, were on the show, and they're really nice guys. And I think it was like, like Victor G. Lasagna. I think was the name of. Oh, the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alan uh, McLeod was perfect for that. He was great. Really funny. 
yeah, actually, I didn't write. I didn't. I wrote that. I didn't direct that. Uh, that was directed by this uh, uh, this gentleman at Fox named David Strumpf, who's a MLB guy, but he does a great job and he's super funny. And, um, I take credit. <laughs> no, you you should. It was really funny, and I love a I love a delightfully eccentric name like Victor G. Lasagna. Oh, me too. It was it was so good. It was really funny, and and Alan had the. He was very well cast in that role. He had the perfect like timbre, everything for that. And Mookie was great. It's yeah, it was really funny. They're both so funny. Yeah, Alan McLeod's just just hilarious. My favorite Alan McLeod is that he did one of those progressive like you're just like your dad uh, yeah. commercials where he, it's just him and he's like pointing at the wall and he goes, you know, this used to be all Staples, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I just found the delivery on it so funny. He's yeah. so funny. Yeah, so funny. Okay, well we need to wrap it up because we've gone slightly okay. over what I promised. Thank you for doing this, first of all. This was great. It was so yeah. fun. Thanks, Brian. I so hope easy. I hope it didn't uh, blab your ear off. No. No, that's what this show is. Oh, good. This is all, this is all blabbery. <laughs> so I, I thought it was great, and I appreciate it. And what all, if anything, do you want to point people toward before you wrap it up? Oh, wrap it up? Um, you know, I'm, I'm at Norm Sousa on my Twitter and Instagram. Um, you know, it's, things are pretty chill now, but that's where basically everything that I do next season uh, for football will be kind of happening. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, if, if you watch, uh, if you watch the NFL on Fox pregame show, uh, next season, hopefully, uh, I'll have a couple pieces and, and, uh, and, uh, hopefully you enjoy them. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to watch them because they really do. It's, it's good, you know, to have something to kind of break away from, just the deep football talk that you never really get or any other pieces. Yeah. But it's a nice respite from that. And I think it's like, you know, I think for Fox in general, it's the kind of the thing that sets them apart. It's, it's the show's a little more lighter and, than the CBS or uh, ABC, ESPN broadcasts. And, and honestly, I think that's, uh, I think kind of having that kind of lighthearted view on it, it's not, not everything is for everyone, but uh, I think it's nice to, to not take sports so seriously. <laughs> no i agree i completely agree but yeah thank you again this was fun awesome thanks brandon yeah and uh thank you all for listening and please stay safe and please take care and lead with empathy and it's okay to not be okay and be kind to yourself thank you again bye